Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. This is Thursday, June 28, 2018. There are lots of defenses to foreclosures that have worked. Hundreds of thousands of cases have been won or settled by those who chose to fight. Most winning cases are settled under seal of confidentiality. So the only thing you hear about are the millions of foreclosure cases that went by default where the homeowner did nothing or chose to do nothing. So you get the impression that there's nothing you can do about it. Well, there is. And I've won cases, and many other lawyers have won cases across the country. And we've also brought cases to the point where they could be settled uh, uh, very beneficially to the homeowner. To win, you need information, understanding, and a strategy based upon your understanding of the facts, of the information. You have to know what is missing from the claim asserting foreclosure. Tonight we discuss claims of standing based upon the claim of being a holder of the promissory note which the original of which may or may not be the same as the original promissory note executed at the time of what you thought was the loan closing. Um, We have to remember the uh, uh, study done uh, back in 2007, which showed that a minimum of 40% of all notes were lost or destroyed intentionally by the banks. And... Of course, they have nevertheless come up with the originals, which means that, I don't see how you can look at it any other way, that they've been fabricating originals. So I'm going to pick apart the usual configuration for false claims of standing and holder in an effort to provide you with more ammunition to contest the claims of standing based upon being a holder of the note. Boiling it down to the simplest explanation, there is a difference between enforcing the note, which is pretty easy, and enforcing the mortgage. Some case law would tell you that if you can enforce the note, that automatically means you can enforce the mortgage. Those cases are wrong. And if presented correctly, 
you have a much better chance of getting traction. This difference between enforcing the note and enforcing the mortgage is most often ignored or overlooked by lawyers and judges alike. Don't forget that judges are not supposed to fill in the gaps if you don't present the case correctly. So even though you think you're right and you've got some law and all that, if it's not presented in an organized way uh, and persuasive way, uh, the judge is most likely not going to rule for you, which is why I tell people to get a lawyer rather than litigate pro se. But admittedly, there's a whole bunch of lawyers who have given up uh, a foreclosure defense uh, because they keep they kept losing, and most of the lawyers who kept losing uh, simply were trying to do things the easy way instead of actually understanding the material. The difference between enforcing the note and enforcing the mortgage is created by state law in all 50 states, all of whom have adopted the Uniform Commercial Code as the law of that state, something that escapes most judges and lawyers. It is the law not because I say so, but because the legislature enacted it as law. The governor signed it, and there is no decision ruling the state adoption of the Uniform Commercial Code as unconstitutional. It is the law, and all cases um, uh, construing provisions of the UCC accept it as the law. Now, there are differences from state to state where the legislature has tweaked some provisions of the UCC, which it had total power to do. But by and large, all provisions of all states governing uh, negotiable instruments are the same. Now, there are other defenses, if you can reveal facts that undermine the claim that the note is a negotiable instrument, then neither the instrument nor the claims based upon the instrument are entitled to any legal presumptions arising from the UCC. In, in that case, the case is converted from facts and absences of facts on one hand versus the UCC legal presumptions to a case of just facts versus facts, in which case homeowners should win most of the time and banks would lose. But truth is that attempt is virtually impossible. So while there are academic arguments favoring the homeowner, there really is little or no case law supporting that avenue. An instrument under Article 3, Section 104 of the UCC, now those numbers will vary from state to state uh, depending upon where they uh, uh, started uh, with their numbering system. Uh, an instrument is negotiable if it is an unconditional promise to pay a specified amount within a specified time. 
Virtually all notes meet this definition in the foreclosure setting. There's a slight opening if you can show or reveal that the party named as payee was not accepting an unconditional promise to pay and that the maker was, was intending to make the note payable to the party that gave him the loan, but um, uh, even though we know the payee was a, a, accepting the note as a sham conduit for other parties who in turn were sham conduits, um, and that the issuance of the note was executed under false pretenses, that's a hard road to follow. So uh, I would look elsewhere for analysis that's likely to get better traction in court. So now I'm going to tell you what does get traction, what does win, and how you can get there through collecting information and understanding what that information means in the legal scheme of things. I'm broadcasting live from the from Duval County, and this show is brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not contributors, we ask that you hit the donate button on the blog or call 954-451-1230 or email me at neilfgarfield at hotmail.com. Pledge whatever you think you can afford. If this show has value for you, if our work uh, has value for you, work which incidentally we don't get paid for, uh, then please chip in. Please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. You start your defense against claims of standing that are based upon being a holder with a simple denial in judicial states. That's where the foreclosing party has to sue in order to get the foreclosure. They say they're a holder and, you're, and the homeowner's answer denies it. If you don't do this, then it will be presumed that you admit it, especially if you admit it outright. Now, they might be a holder, but you want them to prove everything possible, and you want to make things uh, to be in issue so it can broaden the potential scope of discovery. This brings to mind the strategy that I first published and still subscribe to uh, as of 12 years ago. Admit nothing. Make them prove everything. And preserve your timely and well-framed objections for appeal. And there's lots involved in, in doing that. And there was a recent article in the Florida Bar Journal about preserving objections for appeal, which I won't go into tonight. In non-judicial states, it gets trickier because the homeowner must bring a lawsuit to obtain a TRO, that's a temporary restraining order. Essentially, you are denying an allegation that has not yet been made formally 
although there is a tacit allegation in the substitution of trustee, the notice of default, and the notice of sale. The suit for TRO ought to deny that the self-proclaimed beneficiary has standing or is a holder of the note or has uh, uh, standing to enforce the deed of trust precisely for that reason, that it is self-proclaimed. The object is to show that while the pleading requirement is satisfied by asserting holder status, in other words, a motion to dismiss or a demurra would be denied, the proof requirement at trial is not necessarily satisfied. At the pleading stage, all allegations in a judicial complaint are taken as true, but only for purposes of the pleading stage and surviving a motion to dismiss. The motion to dismiss filed by the homeowner after carefully reviewing and analyzing exhibits might be able to complain that the exhibits are inconsistent with the allegations of the complaint and that in such event the exhibit controls. That's the general rule. If you say something in the complaint and you attach an exhibit that says something different, the exhibit controls. This is used to show that the so-called possession or endorsement of the original note had not yet occurred at the time of filing. Hence, the court lacks jurisdiction and the action should be dismissed. But this is only a temporary fix since the complaint will be dismissed without prejudice to bring the action again. It buys time but little else. While these strategies would get the judge to put the burden of proof squarely on the pretender lender, most often the burden falls on the homeowner to prove things that are known to be true, but the evidence corroborating the homeowner's challenge is strictly within the care, custody, and control of the undisclosed parties behind the curtain that shields them. This curtain stands, it's a legal curtain, stands in back of the party who has proclaimed its status as beneficiary under the deed of trust. That curtain is usually sufficient for both lawyers and judges to ignore the parties who are actually directing the foreclosure. Although in truth, the concealed parties are also not the real parties in interest any more than the self-proclaimed beneficiary. So emphasis should be concentrated on the claim being a holder in all events. That requires educating yourself and educating the judge. Opposing counsel will always rely upon the illusion of legal presumptions and will never rely upon an allegation of facts where he'd have to prove it. Unless the fact is that you already admitted that the self-proclaimed beneficiary is the beneficiary. And believe it or not, I've seen most of the cases I've seen that were lost were lost because the pleading of the homeowner essentially accepted or consented 
or admitted the fact that the party initiating the foreclosure had the right to do so. The homeowner has to rely upon facts, not legal presumptions. There are very few legal presumptions that will help a homeowner in this setting. In fact, the homeowner should relentlessly attack the legal presumptions in favor of the foreclosing party because they are being used to produce a finding of fact in court that conflicts with the real facts in real life. You must first start your analysis with a loan that has been sold or subject to claims of securitization, false or otherwise. If the foreclosing party is the original lending institution that, in actual truth, funded the loan and never sold it, it is not a holder in due course or a holder. It is the creditor and doesn't need any of the presumptions that arise in the application of the UCC. Its pleading would say, we are the lender. Here's the note. Here's the mortgage. The homeowner didn't pay. We want a, a foreclosure to pay the debt owed to us. If the homeowner were to contest that the lender was not the lender, then as part of its prima facie case, the lender would have to produce proof of payment funding the loan, which it could easily do. If the foreclosing party is not the lender, which in most cases is true today, then you must start your analysis with the definition of a holder in due course. And there's a reason I start with that, Article 3, Section 302 of the UCC. It is only against the backdrop of the definition of a holder in due course that you can analyze the claims of a self-proclaimed holder. In the real world, pretender lenders never assert the status of holder in due course. But failing to assert that position casts a shadow, which I will describe in a moment, over their right to enforce the mortgage or deed of trust under Article 9 of the UCC, which requires that value be paid before the holder of a mortgage may actually use the instrument to foreclose. Just because they say they own the mortgage doesn't give them the right to enforce the mortgage through foreclosure. They have to have paid value for it. If a party can plead and prove it is a holder in due course, then virtually all defenses by a homeowner, all defenses to enforcement of the note or the mortgage are eviscerated. They're gone. You have no defense, but you have claims against those intermediaries who served as sham conduits and making false claims to your paper and who may have deceived you into executing a note and mortgage in favor of a party other than the one you intended, which is, of course, the party who gave you the money. So in the holder in due course status, none of those issues can be raised against the party enforcing the note or the mortgage, because the holder in due course by definition is paid for it. So anyone who can claim and prove the status of hold, holder in due course would want to do so, 
because it knocks out the defenses. And in fact, it would be legal malpractice for the lawyer not to do so. You still never see the pretender lender asserting the status of holder in due course, even though they would so greatly benefit, supposedly, if they could do so. The main provision of Article 3, Section 302, which I remind you is law of the state and law of the land, is that in order to qualify as a holder in due course, you must be a holder who took the instrument for value, which means you paid for it, in good faith without notice that the instrument is overdue or has been dishonored or that there is an uncured default and without knowledge of the borrower's potential defenses. The interesting point here is which of these elements is the pretender conceding it does, does not have? For starters, they obviously have not paid anyone for the right to own or enforce the debt and therefore the right to enforce the mortgage under the UCC as adopted by the state. But they still might have the right to enforce the note if they have possession of it and it's endorsed to them or it's bearer paper because it was endorsed in blank. That is what for value means. If that is true, then the pretender lender must, by definition, be acting for someone else who did pay for the debt at origination of the alleged loan transaction or later when a supposed transfer occurred. But then that would make the entity, assuming that such an entity exists, who paid the money for the debt the real part, they, they would become the real party in interest. So like the trust, which everybody thinks is the real party in interest and is not because it never made such a payment because it was never in business, they can't claim to be the holder in due course, which, of course, would avoid virtually all borrower defenses. That's why they allege, assert that they are a holder and not a holder in due course. Why didn't they bring the action in the name of the party who paid? More importantly, by what power of appointment or power of attorney or other agreement is the pretender lender bringing the action since the outcome, the ultimate outcome runs to the benefit of the party who paid for and received ownership of the debt and presumably the mortgage and the note. Remember that splitting the mortgage and the debt doesn't invalidate the mortgage, but it also prevents the enforcement of the mortgage. So it stays as a lien, but it can't be foreclosed. Or were they not acting in good faith? That's another element of a holder in due course. Is that what is stopping them from asserting holder in due course? That raises some real interesting questions in a court of equity. How are they not acting in good faith? Or 
did they know that the instrument was already overdue in default or otherwise that uh, there were potential borrower defenses? And if so, what were they? What were the defenses they knew about? Or do they know that an unauthorized signature has been affixed to the note, like an allonge that doesn't qualify as an allonge? Really? Sounds like forgery and robo-signing. Or did they know that the maker of the note has defenses and potential claims for recoupment? These are questions of fact. And by raising the questions of, uh, of fact, you get into a different area of litigation that allows you more latitude in what you want to do in discovery and so forth. These facts are implied by the abandonment of any claim to be a holder in due course. And, of course, there is also the virtual impossibility of them providing a true and correct chain of custody because you have to show possession of the note, raising issues as to possession of the note and how the original came into their hands, especially after they initially claimed, and as it is in many cases, a lost note, and then proceeded without the slightest explanation of how the so-called original note was recovered. So by relating back to the definition of a holder in due course, the judge, as to the relative positions of a holder in due course, then go down one notch to a holder, then down another notch to a possessor with rights to enforce, then down another notch to a possessor, and then down another notch to someone who neither has the note nor do they have any evidence of a transfer, uh, endorsement, etc. Under Article 3, Section 301 of the UCC, a person is entitled to enforce means the holder of an instrument or a non-holder in possession of the instrument who has rights of a holder or a person not in possession of the instrument who is entitled to enforce the instrument, and that would be agency showing that the, the owner of the debt has given another party the right to enforce the debt in their own name pursuant to a contract between this pretender lender and the owner of the debt. The problem is for the banks, they don't have an owner of the debt. And that's explained on my blog, but if you take that as just basic truth, that they don't have an owner of the debt, you'll see how many lawyers have won their cases by just understanding what was missing and why it was missing. So a holder means a person in possession of a negotiable instrument that's payable to either the bearer or an identified person that is the person who is in possession. The holder is a legal person who has received delivery. And I'm going to run out of time here. So if you want the rest of this, um, I'm doing a lecture that's going to cost $29.99. It should be out next week. You can write to me at neilfgarfield at hotmail.com. Um, the 
there's plenty of case law saying that an assignment of mortgage means nothing if it does not also transfer the debt. So the requirement under Article 9, Section 203B1, that value has been paid in order to enforce the mortgage, that brings us around to the fact that only a holder in due course can foreclose, but a mere holder cannot foreclose even if they can sue and collect on the note. There's plenty of case law supporting the basic premises that I am uh, uh, giving you here. So the problem is that the debt got severed from the paperwork as soon as the money arrived from a third party at the origination. So there's much more here and much more strategy to consider. Write to me. Thank you, and we'll be back to you next week. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.